So, Father, I pray that you would anoint your word. I pray that you would stir our hearts. God, we're filled and we're anticipating your move this morning. Do that in our lives, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've told you before that I was, I'm one of six children, and uh, it, we've usually, and those are the days you played outside. You left in the morning for the four boys, the, the two younger girls not so much, but the four boys uh, would leave, and then we would we'd be, growing up in Dallas, we'd just have our shorts, that's it. No shoes, no shirts, just shorts all day, summer, <laughs> out. <laughs> in, in fact, we weren't allowed to come back in, but that's another story. I'm, God's healing me of that, those things. But... But when we did, when, we, when, mom, when my mother would yoo-hoo, that's what she used to do. She would stand, it would embarrass us to tears, and that's why we came running home. She would stand on her front porch and go, yoo-hoo, strong alto voice. And everyone, I mean, we're four blocks away, and the, the other kids were playing with it. goes, oh, your mom's calling you. <laughs> they knew my mother's call. But we would come running home because it's dinner time. <laughs> and, and we knew, man, we would come running in that house, and we knew. And this is the one question we had on our mind. What's on the table? What's on the table? What are we, what are we going to have? What are we going to eat? Now, I probably grew up in a poorer home than I realized, uh, but my parents were amazing. My dad worked two jobs. My mom worked uh, and raised us, six kids, and worked full-time. It just so that we never felt that. I never felt poor. I just knew we couldn't buy anything besides food. But I never felt poor, and I never had that mentality in, 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 my, in, my, in my life, in my heart. So we would run in, and we, we expected a full table, and it was always a full table. Although, when the food came around, you needed to get what you are going to get the first time, because it ain't coming around again. <laughs> That's just the way you grew up. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? That's just the way it was, and that was okay. But we, we were excited about that, and we hung around. And, you know, they did this, they did this study, and they found that 60 years ago, the average, which was not that long ago, okay? 60 years ago, the average time that a family spent around a dinner table was 90 minutes. That was the average. That was it, 90 minutes. Today, it's more like 15. And that 90 minutes was averaged about five or six times a week. Now, three is... is is the max at 15 minutes. But this is what they discovered. They discovered that the children that grow up around a dinner table of whatever length of time are more uh, emotionally stable and healthier in their life, in their approach of life, just by being at the dinner table. So you may want to have that experiment and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to spend an hour, no TV, no phones, nothing else, no electronics, and we're going to spend an hour with my family at the table. You won't last 20 minutes. No, you're just kidding. I believe you can. <laughs> but the point is, that's interesting about the, 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 the table and, and, and everything, but maybe, maybe you grew up on around a different table. Maybe your table is not so good, not so pleasant, I mean, you were, I mean, if if you, you were counting the minutes to try to get away, maybe it was a table of rejection or a broken table or, or a, a shameful table or one that was, uh, you didn't have the support that you needed to have. And this is what you've come to believe. This morning is going to be really different. I'm going to go through a passage of Scripture, and we're just going to have one idea, one thought. And if I can get you to grab a hold of this one biblical spiritual point, and this one biblical spiritual idea, it will change your life. You will not leave the same as you came. I promise you. But I just want you to grab a hold of that one because the idea that we usually get is, ah, 
my table wasn't enough. And somehow we transfer that to God, that maybe God isn't enough. In this situation, in this marriage, in this financial uh, pressure, in this, maybe God's not enough. Let me just start with a little bit of a, of a story. In 2 Kings, there is a, uh, these four lepers who are filled with leprosy, and, and the city of Jerusalem is under siege. And the enemy is surrounding them, and so everyone's starving. And so these four men said, hey, we're going to die here or we're going to die over there. So let's go to the enemy's camp where they have food and let's just see. Let's just see. Maybe they're going to kill us, but it doesn't matter. We're going to die here anyway. There's something about desperation. I mean, that's a whole message there. But they, as they were marching, God multiplied the, the sound of their feet and freaked out the army. And the entire army that was surrounding Jerusalem fled. And so when they, these four men with leprosy get there, they find the abundance of food everywhere, just overflowing, just incredible. And then they struggle, well, do we, do we just keep it all? Of course, they couldn't because then they found out where, if they find out where we kept it, then they'd kill us anyway. <laughs> so they go back and they, and they tell everything. But meanwhile, when all this was happening, uh, Elisha, the prophet, comes to the king and says, God is about to do a miracle. So if your prophet, if your pastor, if your mentor, if someone is encouraging you, hey, God's about to do something, what is your response? Well, yeah, I've heard that before. And this was the response of the main guy that was leading with the king. And he stood there, and this was his response. Look at chapter 7, verses 2. He said, everything is going to change. The officer said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open up the floodgates of heaven, how could this happen? I mean, literally, let's think about this. Let's be logical about this. If God would open up all the, uh, the windows of heaven, how could this happen? And Elisha said, hmm, you will see with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it because you did not believe. I want to grab a hold of that for a minute. Because this story, that story is much more involved than we can get into this morning. But the point is that this main leader did not believe, could not believe, that heaven and all that it contained would be enough to meet the need. Now think about that. It wasn't enough. Heaven's not enough. But deeper, much more deeper was simply this. God wasn't enough. God's not enough. And I think so often that's where Christians live today. God is not enough. Ah, I know God's a good God, and I know he's up there, and I know he's doing things and, and, and everything, but, but it's not enough for me. You see, this thinking, this premise that drives your life is deep, it's buried, it's underneath, and you don't even realize you're living it. God's not enough. God's not enough for this. I, I, I can't do that. God blesses, and God will bless me, but... Uh, only a little bit, only to a certain degree, Greg. I mean, you know, come on. And, you know, it's not going to be like overflowing. It's not going to. It's not going to be. It's not going to be big. So this morning, I'm going to talk about Psalms 23. We're just going to go through it, and it's going to lay out a thought, an understanding of how God wants us to see Him and move in our life and live in in a way that I think is going to change us. But so I'm going to jump ahead because I just can't stand it. <laughs> I'm going to jump ahead to verse five. Because that's where we find the answer. That's where we find the, everything that just breaks open for us. And uh, it, it, it literally it, uh, is amazing. So we have, you're, you're, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare, now, okay. what does that mean? 
That means that the enemy's about to attack and God's making dinner? <laughs> no, what is that about? I don't, I don't get what, is, what does that mean? You have to understand the history. And David knows, because this is what would happen. Army over here, army over here, and then they would battle. And then if one wins soundly, if one wins completely, they would take the army and the leaders, the king or the generals that lost, and they would bring them before them, and they would set these tables up, feast. I mean, usually the, the goal would be to take all the food that was in the enemy's camp <laughs> and put it on the table and have the king or the general kneel down, and you would have this feast in front of the fallen enemy. And that's what David said God's doing. God, you are preparing a table for me in front of a what? A defeated enemy. Do you understand that your enemy is defeated? Do you understand that that temptation that seems to overwhelm us, that seems to defeat us, is a defeated temptation if we just stand in what God has for us? God is making a table, a feast, overflowing. So this morning we're going to talk about your, your open and overflowing life. And you think, I don't feel open. <laughs> and I'm certainly not overflowing, <laughs> you know, unless it's my belly over my belt. You know, thinking, thinking I, I don't know, Greg, uh, Greg, how do I have this open and overflowing life? How do, how, how do, how do I do that? See, the enemy will come along and, 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 dis, and disguise it and, so you can't see the table. You can't see what God is actually doing. You're in the fire, and you don't know there's a fourth man that shows up. Come on. You're in the water, and you don't know that God's hands are pushing back the, the seas. You don't understand that he's there and that he's doing this. And so we think, oh, I'm by myself. You think, how do I live? How do I do this, Greg? How can I live an overflowing life? You have to remove the smoke. You have to remove that, that haze, that, that mist that's there. And the enemy does this. The world causes this and stirs this up in our own life. It says, I, I can't do it. I can't live victoriously. <laughs> Let me read a scripture out of Revelation. Anytime we go to Revelation, we're going, ooh, that's fun. Okay, let's do that. So let's go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. John said, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose writer is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. What a great verse. What a great verse. You see, I think so often we see heaven is closed. We don't understand. This is a prophetic word, I believe, for us, for what God is doing right now. Heaven is open. It is not closed. We have jokes. We tell jokes. You having jokes? Sometimes they're funny. I laugh at them. It's okay. But, you know, the joke comes up. I, and these, these four men come up to the, the gate of heaven, and St. Peter's there, and they're trying to get in. You know, the joke starts something like that. The problem is, some of you people believe those jokes. They're not real. You can laugh at them. They're okay. But they're not real, because Peter is not at the gate, and the gate is not closed it is open to anyone and to everyone who's willing to say, God, I need you in my life. Jesus, forgive me. And it's a wide open gate that's there, and, and Jesus is standing there. And you say, well, oh, Greg, what, uh, how do you know the gate's open for me? Maybe it's open to all these other righteous people around me. <laughs> and not for me, my problems and my pain and my struggle. How do I know? The Bible says that he is called faithful and true. That's not what he does. It's who he is. 
It's who he is. He is faithful and true. And the Bible says that if you're willing to say, God, I need you. God, come into my life. The heavens open. The gates open. Jesus is standing there. You see, faithful and true is what he does. But winning, I mean, who he is, but winning is what he does. That's what he does. He wins. He judges. He declares victory. He is victorious in all that he does. And he's victorious in your life. Do we believe that? I'm not so sure. I'm not sure. We look, we look around and go, I don't know about this. And, and I know we serve a victorious Jesus, but I'm just not victorious here. Do you have Christ in you? Is Christ dwelling with inside of you? Then there is a victory there for you. There's an openness there for you. And you say, oh, Greg, what about, what about my struggles, though? Now, you see, I got this, and I sort of mess up here, and I sort of screw up here. I don't do well here, and, 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 and it's really, really, really hard for me. <laughs> I want you to picture this. Jesus is getting baptized by John. Jesus, God, God himself, the, son, the God that made the water is going to go in the water, <laughs> okay? You gotta, but you have to understand the significance of what the baptism of Jesus was all about because you have to understand the significance of what baptism is all about. Baptism is about surrendering to your will, to your direction, to everything that you want, and coming up and saying, I die to myself, and I come up, and I'm going to live for God. That's what Jesus was saying. We're going to do this. I'm going to die to my will. I'm going to die to what I want. I'm going to die to everything, and I'm going to live and, and, and live a life that is going to surrender to God, and it's going to ultimately bring salvation to the whole world if we receive it. So he is about to go under, and look what it says in chapter 1, verse 10 of Mark. It says, as Jesus was coming out of the water, <laughs> the water that he made. I just, I just find that ironic. I just, just, I just, to me, this whole picture is just amazing when we see the significance of it. Because Jesus was coming out of the water, and he saw heaven being torn open. Earlier translation says, heaven opened. <laughs> and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. You have to get this, the word open, the word, it literally means, as the NIV translates here, to tear open. <laughs> it was a rendering, it was a tearing, it was, it was dramatic, it, was, it wasn't God going, ooh, that's fun. <laughs> no, 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 it was God saying, I'm going to bless this. When you surrender your life, when you give your life into everything that God's going to do in your life, then there is dramatic uh, opening of the heaven. Heaven was torn open. I think at that moment, it was torn open because of Jesus' obedience and everything that he was going to do. Torn open for you. Torn open for me. It was torn open completely. We're not talking about, you know, as an analogy, like a torn open like Michael Buble, you know, saying, oh, this is real songs. You know his songs, right? This is more like Jack, uh, Michael Jackson. Beat it! <laughs> this is, come on. When's the last time you heard a sermon with Michael Buble and Michael Jackson? I'm just saying, we got to feel that. We got to know the tearing of what God is trying to do in our life. So let's go, let's jump into Psalms 23. Psalms 23 begins with the mind frame that we're struggling with. Because he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. See, I just think, a lot of times the King James doesn't always get it, uh, the right nuance of, of the translation. And, and this one, though, I think has been harmful. Because people think, oh, what do I get? Do I want this? Do I want that? No, 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 no. It means, as the, you know, he tries to, to reach, I lack nothing. 
I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Can you say that? I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I think it gets stuck in some of our throats. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. I, oh. <laughs> in fact, I, I, you know, we, we only get part way there. Lack, this word lack is a really strong, tough word. It means to fail. It means you are in want, you are lacking things. It means you have less. It means you are made lower. That's what it means, okay? So it's a tough, 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 tough word. And I think many times people read this and say, Lord, it's my shepherd. I I have nothing. (laughs) I lack. I lack. And you just sort of stop there and miss. The the next word, nothing, is works uh, in a unique way in Hebrew where it's saying, okay, whatever you just saw is the opposite. (laughs) Whatever you just read, it's the opposite of everything. Do you understand God's working some opposites in your life? And he's turning that around. So you're thinking this way, but now you have, been, you have been made low. You are brought up. Now you have failed. You will win. Now you are unsuccessful. You are going to be successful. That's what it means when he says, I lack nothing. It's the opposite. The opposite is what we need to understand God's trying to do in our, in our life. Do you understand that God's working some opposites in your life? Because we live in this world. And we struggle and we doubt and we, and, we, and we don't understand. But God has something bigger. <laughs> you know, nothing opposite. That, those things are trying to work in our lives. And I'm telling you, we need to step up and say, I don't, I don't want to live that way. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I win. <laughs> that's what he's saying. He's, that's what the whole verse starts out. The Lord is my shepherd. I won. <laughs> I'll have more. I have everything that God's trying to do. And we have this crummy, stinking thinking in our lives that just says, oh, it's not enough. And verse 1 just attacks that and blows it out of the water. God has so much more. God's doing so much more. God's able to do so much more in your life, in your situation, because he's making a table for you in front of whatever enemy you think is overwhelming. In front of whatever enemy you think is too great. I love in, in, in the, the book of Revelation where it talks about, we're going to look at the enemy, we're going to look at Satan and go, are you kidding me? <laughs> that, that's the one that destroyed the world? That's the one that deceived so many people? Are you kidding me? You're looking at that and, you, and, and God wants us to have those kind of eyes now. Those kind of understanding now. Psalms 23 then, verse 2 and 3 moves on. This is, this is critical. Like, okay, I win. God wins with me. I, I win. And then you get to verse 2 and 3, and you understand how we get there. This is so important, and this, we missed it. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside easy, quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And I'm convinced we live in this world broken and not seen enough is because we never took the time to allow God to refresh us. We never stopped for a moment and said, God, I believe you're able. And I love this. David says, he just made me. He pushed me down. (laughs) He said, you are here. You're not going anywhere. And God do that. But we have to allow God to do that. There's a refreshing that I believe that we should live in every single day. 
refreshing of his spirit, a refreshing of his grace. And if you go days and days and days and days and you don't feel, you feel like maybe I'm not going to win, I tell you what happened. You just missed all that refreshing. When God just breathes on you and says, I love you. I'm here for you. I'm not far. I'm not distant. I'm not going to abandon you. God is enough. God is enough if you allow him to refresh. You see, we can't think it because we're not refreshed. Romans 12, 2. I mean, we know this verse. We say this verse, but it's directly connected to what David is just teaching here. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed, I believe, is live refreshed. Don't live that way. Think differently. If you think God is not enough, you can never be refreshed. You can never live refreshed. You can never go into this next moment here or this next job situation or this next family brokenness or this next physical um, issue with your doctor or whatever. You can't go in there and say, God is my, God is, is, is my provider. I can live refreshed. I can trust him. I can believe in him. And if you live refreshed, if you allow God to do that, then all of a sudden everything happens. Instead, so often we, we see the table as, as empty. We see it as, as empty. We see it as not doing anything. We, just, we, we imagine that, yeah, God's a, uh, putting up a table of you know, empty you know, wooden tables. God has so much more. He is setting a feast for you because he defeated the enemy. When we see the feast, we know the enemy is defeated. <laughs> When we see the feast, when we see the table, we know, okay, that means that enemy is, is before me. And you need to see the table. You need to see what God is doing. You need to believe that God is, table, is moving. And you say, okay, wait a minute. If my table is overflowing, if there's a great table of feast before me, why does this hurt so much? Why is it so hard? Why am I in so much pain? Why am I going through this divorce? Why did I lose my business? Why do they all hate me? Why do they say these things about me? This is where we live. And so we look at that and we think, how can that table be full? But you just follow along, okay? I shall not want because he meets every single need. He refreshes me. And then verse (laughs) 4. Sometimes we just want to skip verse 4. Verse Five, I already told you about the enemy. That's exciting. Verse 6 is even more exciting. But verse 4 is like, oh, that's so hard. Now watch this. Verse 4 says, even though I walk through the darkest, deepest valley, I will not fear. I will fear no evil. You can't fear evil if there's not the possibility of evil. So we are in this world, (laughs) okay? And that means there is evil there. And it says, so even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort, comfort me? Okay, wow, look where, look where David went. He went from this is dark, this is deep, this is evil, this is wrong, this is hard. At the end, I'm comforted, I'm restored, I'm refreshed. How do you get there? <laughs> Maybe you're going through some stuff, and you want to know, how do I get there? I, I, can I just play with this a little bit? Because we just need to see the picture. Even though does not mean if. 
We've got to get that out of the way. Even though does not mean if. And so often we, it, we, we read it and we think, oh, well, if I go something, then maybe God will be there. No, no, no. You will. You will. Jesus said, in this world, you will have persecution. In this world, you will suffer. In this world, the world is going to kick up and act like the world around you. <laughs> Don't be surprised when the world acts like the world. That's what the world does. That's all they know how to do. So when you're in the middle of this world thing that's going on and your body's breaking and your family's hurting and it doesn't seem like you have a, enough you know, two dimes to, to rub together, when, when, when things are struggling, when things are hard or, or sin is beleaguering uh, you and, and you just think, how can I stand and how can I defeat this temptation and what's all these things going on around me? God, how can I do that? Just remember... You were always destined to go through these things. It's not if. It's not if. It's when. It's not the absence of it. It's something so much more. See, the shepherd leads us through the dark valleys. The shepherd leads us through those dark valleys. So let's play with this a little bit. Let's look at this. Even though even though it's here, and somehow we got to go walking through. Even though it's here, and somehow we got to get to walking through. How do we get to walking through? The only difference between though and through, or when you have to go through it and when you have gone through it, the only difference is the letter R in those words. Okay? Stay with me. You're thinking, what? English letter. So, so uh, the only difference is the R. That's it. That, that little that R is the only thing that... It, that it makes a difference. Now, I grew up, I love sign language, and I learned how to sign language, owe me my name. That's it. So don't do anything else and expect me to translate. You know, I'll be like those people on TV, you know. But I could do this. So this is G, R, E, G, O, R, Y. I love Y. Hey, cool. I love, I, in fact, I love G, too, because I, I knew I was going to be a preacher. So G's good. My, my name is G. I'm going to point, point that finger. But the intriguing one was R. You know, you know, even in our culture today, R, if you cross your fingers, cross your fingers, means hope. I hope, I hope things are going to work out. I hope things are going to turn good. I, 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 I hope. Do you realize that someone actually wrote a book? I know it's crazy. People write crazy books. On the curses in the first century. First century curses. Do you realize there were first century curses? You see, the curse in the first century would be very different from today because the words are different. <laughs> so we have our own curse words, right? We, nobody knows what those are, but they're out there somewhere. I know they're not coming to mind. Okay, that was, I didn't want those to come to mind. But we have curse words now. They had curse words then. And you know what the worst curse word in the first century was because of the Roman influ influence and everything? The worst thing you could say is crucify you. Just crucify you. That was, that was the worst. That was the biggest curse because to be crucified is horrible and shameful and painful and uh, demoralizing. It's just, it's just awesome, uh, terribly awesome. <laughs> so if someone came up, and, you know, so if you're riding in your chariot, you're in your chariot, and some EV chariot cuts you off because they think they, <laughs> think they can drive and they cut you off, you would yell, hey, crucify you. It's true. We would say other words, but they say crucify you. Now, Here's what's crazy. If you didn't feel like shouting or they had their chariot windows open and they're getting on ahead, then you may not, you may not uh, want to yell it. You would just put up a finger. 
not finger your thinking. They would put up the cross. They had a finger in first century. It's crazy. You're thinking, I go to church to learn this? But watch. They put up the cross. There's actually early paintings of priests of our ancient church fathers giving uh, blessings. And you'll notice their fingers are always together. Because somewhere along the line, the Christians began to understand that what was shameful to the world was a blessing to them. And they, and they instead, you know, because, you know, maybe you've heard where they would draw a half of a fish and someone else would finish the fish and on, the, on the dirt and the ground, you know. Well, sometimes there's not dirt. Excuse me. You're right. That's a little obvious, right? So you know what they would do? They would just cross their fingers. And they would let someone know, I believe in the cross. I, I'm a Christian. They, they co-opted what is the most awful curse and made it the biggest blessing. So about years later, centuries later, the priests are actually doing it with their fingers, doing the, the, that very thing. And you see, that's what this verse is all about. When even though you're going through darkness and it's hard and you've got to walk through that deep old valley, God is with you. He hasn't abandoned you. And you, just like those Christians, co-opted what was a sign of a curse and made it into a blessing, God will co-opt your pain, your struggle, your fight, your worry, your fear, your sin, and will turn it around into a blessing that you cannot even imagine. That's what God does. That's what that verse is about. So that you end up, he comforts me. Ha! Hey, I, look what I just walked through. He took what was awful, what was hard, what was difficult, what was painful sinful and he turned it around and brought redemption <laughs> only god can do that only god can do that and that's what that's all about we need to understand that we need to put that in our spirit jesus turned your struggle into a win christ co-opted your trials the very trial you're going for the very thing you worry about the very thing you fear about the very thing you're doubting right now that very thing the very thing you're worried about god can co-opt it and turn it into a blessing. And this is how we end. I love verse 6. Psalms 23, 6. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, there's a pastor coming out of me. He says, see where this ends? <laughs> see where this ends? <laughs> this ends with you being here. And us being together and in fellowship. But I love the way it starts as well. You know, it says, I want to focus on that word follow. It's not what we think. Follow, 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 follow. It's not, no, no, no. It's not a little follow like that. It means to pursue ardently, eagerly, to secure, to run after. <laughs> so he, the great shepherd, has two amazing sheepdogs called Love and mercy, goodness and love, love running after you, not trying to just say nip at your heels, but they're pulling you in the, into the pen, shaking you around. They're pulling you in. They're making you tight. They understand that God is with us, that God is there, that God loves us, that God can pull us in no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter how difficult it might be. God is pulling us in. He's pulling us in. I love that. He runs after us. 
God is just not going, okay, you guys need to get your act together. You need to get some forgiveness. You need to get some... God is running after you with his love, with his goodness. <laughs> that word surely, not surely, surely. In Hebrew, it's pronounced ok. <laughs> it's a great word. Ok. Ok. You think, what is ok about? Hey, well, the only, the closest English equivalent, besides surely, is aha. <laughs> Aha, uh-huh, that's what it means. Aha. Uh-huh. In other words, there's a revelation here. Aha. Uh-huh. God's running after me. Aha. Uh-huh. He hasn't abandoned me. Aha. Uh-huh. He hasn't forgotten me. The revelation that changes our thinking, that changes this, prim- this premise that God is not enough. God turns all that around. This is how you'll live this week and it'll change your life. Do you believe that God is enough in your life? Do you believe He is more than enough? That he can do all things, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard, no matter what. He is ardently seeking, following, running after us with his love and with his mercy. He's to pull us in there. And then we have this revelation and say, God loves me. God loves me. See, you got to get the revelation <laughs> that heaven is open <laughs> and the table is full. And that Jesus has won and he has it for you. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Because that is what's going to change how you live this week and how you live and believe. Are you living an overflowing life that God has for you? You receive the word. Come on. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now, every single person watching, if they know you, Father, I pray right now that you would just stir something in their heart, that you would build this aha moment of revelation in their heart that says, God, you're more than enough. God, you're... You've opened heaven for me. It is not closed. It's pouring out into my life. It's overflowing into all the goodness that you have for me. God, I believe that for this church. I believe that for every single person watching, every single person that's in this place. Right now, Father, let them see the overflowing, overwhelming love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. And oh, my dear God, if there's just one person watching, if there's just one person that's right here and they haven't come to that realization of how God loves them, how God has forgiven them, I pray right now that, God, they, they would see the heaven torn open and the mercy and the love of God poured into their life. God, I pray that they would turn their heart towards you and say, God, forgive me. Let me see your love. Let me know your love. Let me walk in your fullness, your overflowing love. I pray that. For every single person. In the name of Jesus. Amen.